Hello everyone, I'm Samantha Jane Smith. And I'm Jacob Keynes, and you are listening to the Classical Queer Podcast. Join us as we listen to queer classical music from around the world, talk with composers, and explore the wonderful, diverse, and growing repertoire of LGBTQ musicians. In today's show, we'll be talking to three young trans and non-binary composers about their work. The three are part of a cooperative in Glasgow who not only make great music, which encourage others in their community to find their voice. The cooperative recently released their first EP and will be playing some music from it today. Welcome, my name is Jacob Keynes, and I am a conductor and a musicologist. Most of my time as a musicologist is spent studying how queer classical musicians write and perform and create. Hi everyone, I'm Samantha Jane Smith. I present the Classical Music Show on Trans Radio UK and have been an avid listener to classical music for almost half a century. I should say I have no musical talent whatsoever, so I approach music from the perspective of the average layperson. Let's get straight on with the show. So on today's programme, Jake and I welcome three fantastic young trans and non-binary composers and musicians. are all featured on a recent EP released by a musical cooperative in Glasgow called Overat. So welcome to Rufus Isabel Elliott, Ryan Gleave, and Vivian Holmes. So perhaps we can uh, start by getting you to introduce yourself. So maybe we'll start with you, Rufus. Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Rufus. Uh, I'm a composer and musician. Uh, I uh, mainly work in classical uh, circles and idioms, but uh, in a way that tries to sort of uh, allow anyone into it and any kinds of voices into it. Um, I uh, founded Overat uh, a couple of years ago and um, have been privileged to get to work as a, a producer and curator as well as a composer in this EP. Fantastic. Uh, Rylan, do you want to go next? Hello, um, I'm Rylan. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a composer and vocalist and teacher based in Glasgow at the minute. Um, a lot of my practice is quite inclusive. It also focuses on the voice, um, my own voice, others' voices, facilitating others to use their voices. Um, I'm not a carbon copy of Rufus, I promise. We have different hair. <laughs> That's good. Um, okay, thanks, Ryland. Uh, Viv? Hi, um, I'm Vivian Holmes. I am, God, I, uh, let's say a multidisciplinary artist based in Manchester, because it's mostly in being indecisive. Um, but yeah, I am a guitarist and like back vocals in my band, Ethermech. Um, I perform solo work uh, in under the name Ocean 1212W after Sylvia Plath, short story. And um, yeah, I was asked by Rufus, who I knew through uni, to sort of collaborate on this, and I was yeah, I was like, I haven't done a lot of like, cl- 
classical things. I'm traditionally like my band's a punk band. My solo stuff is more like in like the metal scene. And you know, I used to do like more classical stuff at school, but like I've no- yeah, it was a bit of a like change. And yeah, I do a lot of work with Partisan Collective down here in Manchester. Um, and I sort of like do a lot of like producing and curating of like sort of drag acts and stuff like that, as well as my own practice. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. I must admit, after that, I feel quite inadequate. Um, uh, so um, let's talk first a little bit about Oberat, which is a uh, Glasgow-based collective. Uh, and uh, Rufus, you've been a, a, a key person within this. So would you like to say a little bit about that and how this EP came about? <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, Overat is, uh, it started out as a gig series in the distant lands of March 2020. And, uh, and that, that first gig at the Glad Cafe in Glasgow was uh, really beautiful celebratory evening with uh like works that were vocal in a lot of different ways including not speaking and not singing as well as um doing both those things and maybe also having a bit of a shout um and uh and that was a really beautiful evening just to see a lot of different ways that we could do that um and then a week later it was the lockdown (laughs) um and uh and I had uh, been very fortunate in that first lockdown. I was appointed to uh, this uh, sound and music program called Composer Curator. And they uh, were interested in what I was doing with um, trans voices and wanted to support the series to continue past that first gig. Um, only it was a pandemic. So <laughs> the question was, how to do that, how to bring people into this uh, music. And uh, in the end, the plan sort of grew so variously to include like commissions, recording projects, workshops, writing, uh, learning resources, like all kinds of things. And I was struggling to think like how to describe this. And I started calling it um, a trans, non-binary and gender diverse music making world. Um, and I think like that idea of the world is like really uh, important, kind of uh, something imaginative and um, trying to think like um, this name Overat was kind of like a joke about. So, you know, trans things are always called like transcend, transpose, mm-hmm. translate. And we can all have a lot of fun with that. But I was thinking like, what about like the trans part as like in if you go back to whatever the Greek, I'm sure that someone can show me up here for my lack of classics knowledge. But it's like something over over like over there. So like over there across that glen, something on the other side, something on the mountain over there. So it's kind of like something you can kind of glance at, but um like maybe not. Uh, yeah, so so that sort of like imaginative place um was uh was really important and uh and like yeah feeling like uh with the with the ep i had this idea um in my own music that i've been thinking about a lot like um sort of uh just singing as something sort of um 
bodily, that some kind of like a physical response. I've worked on this piece with Rylan uh, called He Lands, He Lands, which um, we made over like more than a year. And we recorded uh, Rylan's voice when his voice was breaking and like exploring like all those cracks and splinters. And then uh, I played those recordings to some other um, trans friends and just like on headphones, people who aren't like experienced in like musical training um, and ask them to just sing to listen and sing um and uh and it was really just so beautiful to hear people use their voices and I and I wanted to sort of think more about like yeah this EP was kind of a way to ask different people to contribute to that and sort of imagine a a sort of broader tradition um so yeah the idea of like a trans living tradition um and asking some different people in into the world to imagine a little corner of it and uh and that's what the ep kind of is like all together um all these different little parts of the world yeah like i i had this role with the ep of uh of not so much as a composer but more like taking what i'd learned in my own work and trying to share it on to other artists and ask them to respond um and yeah vivian was working with um the uh, the artist Harry Josephine Giles, who mainly does text-based stuff, but is also uh, a punk musician. Um, so that was quite a, a sort of uh, happy, happy match. Um, and then uh, Ryland's been really involved with basically everything in over at having to get me texting him every 10 seconds, being like, Ryland, do you think I should do this? Ryland, do you think I should do that? Um, and Rylan can basically do anything that I can't do. So he's basically done anything in the project that I wasn't capable of. Rylan stepped in and saved the day with like helping with, uh, teaching some singing techniques, um, to a group of musicians who aren't normally singers, um, or maybe have singing as like a part of their work. Um, and, uh, he made a lot of the learning resources that we put together and he actually went down to Manchester to record Viv performing uh, out of existence. So, yeah, he's kind of a... I want to add was a fantastic trip and that was such a privilege, Viv. You are so talented. It was great. Also, it turned out that my practice studios were like, we were recording, turned out to be like two streets away. From where? my dad's house. Yeah. <laughs> Which was great. And yeah, that was a great day. I was having the most absurdly shit day. And then we went to record in the evening. And I was like half an hour late. And I was like battling through the Manchester tram system with like bags full of pillows to like cover things. And it was just, it was just a fucking dream. Right on there. Terrifyingly talented. And yeah, it was just lovely. I think we'll just let you guys talk for the next hour. I'm quite happy just to listen to you chat away, to be honest. I, I don't know about you, Jacob, but I'll just let them talk. It, it's just fascinating, really. It's great. Honestly, I'm so thrilled to not like push people in directions. I'm just happy to hear what you what you all have to say. Um, and it's it's so fascinating to talk about uh, I think you said that we're like creating a whole world or a small corner of the world and just like where that comes in and what part of 
your world you bring into all of these different things. And I, I think, I mean, we'll listen to them, of course, in a second, but one of the things that I, I wrote down in my like scribbled notes as I was listening to uh, the three pieces we're going to talk about is just everyone in their own way creates such a uh, atmosphere and it's so immersive and each one of them has a different like architectural understanding of space. And it was so interesting to listen to the heavy text-based ones and then the uh, more soundscape pieces, you know, and just hear what that world brings to me. And it's going to be really fascinating to uh, map my thoughts on it to what you all think about your actual creations and, and what you were thinking about when you were writing and, and performing. Yeah. Rufus, when you when you started to, to do the EP, uh, you know, was it just a matter of say, I've got a few mates here, let's phone them up or this, or, or how did you actually, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a musician, so I don't know how you pull an EP together. That's, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, is, you know, you've got an idea, you want an EP, but there's a lot between that and actually, you know, there it is sort of thing. And, and can you just talk us a little bit about how you did that? Yes, a year of pulling my hair out. <laughs> that, was the, that was the main part of making the EP, I've got to say must have sent hundreds and hundreds of emails and uh yeah trying to trying to bring a crew of uh entirely trans and non-binary artists together is worse than herding cats like sorry to everyone in our community but it is so hard (laughs) 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 i uh like i say that with love but my god also the gray in my hair but uh but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good question because, um, like, I, uh, I guess the first gig, there was like an element of like, uh, just twisting the arm of anyone that I could to, to come and play. Um, but still already, like, we were bringing in, um, music from Sarah Hennies, who's, uh, quite a well-known composer in America, um, uh, film piece by a couple of German artists. Um, a piece by the Irish uh, non-binary singer and composer Robbie Blake so it was already like quite a sort of wide international circle so in a way the EP was um, was like a smaller community because I wanted it to be all folk who were in Scotland sorry Viv you, you were the cheat um, <laughs> I, I started out from the point of view of, uh, of bringing in Scottish and Scotland based artists because um uh i guess a lot of a lot of uh things that you see that are sort of trans and non-binary if they're made in the uk they're they're often happening in london um it's easy to feel uh like cut off from that world so i guess i wanted to try and find all the people in scotland who are doing that kind of work um and then i spent about two months on google on bandcamp on soundcloud on Instagram on YouTube and just like listen to so much stuff. I have like a master Rolodex of every trans non-binary and gender creative that I came across during this search, like what kind of mediums they work in, what kind of music they make, any links that I have and just like sleuth and sleuth because I wanted to just know like, yeah, I didn't want to just ask my, my friends to do this project. I wanted to like find out, um, people who were out there and, and, and learn about that. Um, and, 
and yeah, then, uh, sort of, uh, <laughs> it was very lucky that Sound and Music were interested in the project because, um, they're, they're sort of taking it seriously and saying like, yes, this is important. Kind of let me make other people take it seriously too. Um, and so, uh, then I was able to get some money from Creative Scotland. Um, full disclosure, that was like another three weeks of writing many thousands of words on an application form and, um, crunching numbers in my sleep. And then, um, yeah, I guess starting to write to folks and, uh, and talk to people about the idea. And, um, it, it took a while and it was quite, uh, quite sort of, um, emotionally draining as well to like uh to sort of if you're if you're organizing something creative especially if it's really coming from your own practice um and your own like work like a lot of a lot of sort of um life and creative effort went into it beyond like the writing of the applications so you're like trusting people with quite a lot um when you do that and uh and just uh like sort of balancing that with like having very open-ended conversations and saying to people like this is a space this is what I can offer you and like you can do more or less anything that you like within that and then like starting those conversations with Harry Josephine Giles um with Malin Lewis who's a non-binary pipe from Sky who it turned out lived two doors down from me um and uh and with uh Matthew Arthur Williams who also lives only a few streets from where I <laughs> used to live um it was very funny like discovering this this network that had existed but I hadn't like uh yeah uh found it before and um and that makes it sound like everyone's just in the south side of Glasgow and that I did just <laughs> that's not true we're like all over Scotland um and beyond <laughs> um so uh, and then there was like quite a lot of waiting and feeling anxious um and uh and i guess um a lot of sort of um yeah just just the like the emotional effort of sort of getting in touch with people and checking in and um and trying to get everything happening when it needs to happen is is really mm-hmm. especially in when you're in lockdown by yourself in the highlands that's actually like really quite draining um so um i don't i don't really know how it came together i guess is what i'm saying like uh, <laughs> a dozen a dozen very talented creative people and many hundreds of emails <laughs> would be the short answer <laughs> fantastic well well let's let's listen to some music from it i guess next and and i think we're going to start by listening to um uh, Matthew Arthur Williams and Rylan Gleaves' piece, Fields. And so maybe, Rylan, you'd like to say a little bit about the piece and introduce it to us? Yeah, I do want to say that it is not my piece in any way whatsoever. This is absolutely Matthew's piece. Um, so the recording of my vocals came from the project that Rufus was talking about, Healens Healens. Um, and Matthew, I think, asked Rufus to use some of the... Am I right in thinking that? That Matthew asked you to use some of the... Um, yeah, because Matthew's like I I approached him having heard his stuff as a DJ and just thinking that uh, they had a very like musical approach to their sets, um, and I just kind of said like 
do you do any producing and maybe like maybe making a, an, a piece from scratch is not the right thing for you but if a remix was the right thing then here's the material and go forth um so yeah yeah um and i absolutely love what they have done with it like it's stunning it sounds absolutely fantastic and it is not a direction that i ever would have thought those vocals spe- specifically would have gone in um but it really really works um and i absolutely love it but yeah i've definitely it's not my piece i'm definitely not qualified to talk about it like that okay, okay well we're going to hear your vocals uh along with along with the the other music on it so uh let's take a listen
So that was Matthew Arthur Williams and Ryland Gleave with Feels. Uh, Jacob, over to you. Yeah, I mean, my first thought is uh, this was the first one I listened to, the first, the first one of the three that we're going to listen to today, and it immediately brought me into this uh, really interesting, uh, like I was saying earlier, like soundscape world and and kind of understanding of how that uh, sound group gets created. So it's really interesting to me to hear that a you didn't compose it with the vocals in mind uh, and that they were kind of uh, interacted with in a different way. Uh, and that Matthew's more of a uh, DJ producer uh, type person. So like that is really fascinating to me that those vocals are not where you thought they would go. And now I'm really fascinated to hear where you thought they would go uh, without Matthew's interaction from it. I mean, I don't know if you've heard Rufus's piece, He Lands, He Lands. If not, I would, I would recommend listening to it because it is really a, a gorgeous collection of trans squeaks. Um, it's it's stunning and it's so weird. Um, I guess like <laughs> recording those. I've I've heard it and I, I will I will back that up. It, it is uh, it's maybe we'll have to come back to that one sometime. Maybe that's the, when we invite you back on in a few few months or something. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess just from the original recordings, like they came from such a a strange place because I think I was maybe eight or nine weeks into taking testosterone and my voice was just splitting and cracking everywhere and I couldn't sing a single note like I had maybe three notes in my range and the rest of it was just garbage and instead of feeling sorry for myself Rufus was like you want to work on a piece and I was like yes absolutely let's be distracted by the fact that I can't sing anything um, and actually like with hindsight they're, they're so gorgeous they sound fantastic um, and I'm really pleased that I've retained the ability to make my voice do that when I want as opposed to that just being a thing that was that one chapter in time, like I can kind of bring that back in different pieces, which is, you know, useful as a composer who works with voices. Um, but I guess I hadn't, because that was such a um, a bare and exposed kind of set of vocals that went into that piece, I guess I hadn't imagined them in such a, an immersive soundscape that Matthew created um, with the kind of accompaniment and the beat behind it, but they fit so beautifully with it. Um, yeah, Matthew's skill in that area is just immense. And it would be really interesting to me to hear, uh, like almost like variations on it, like and have your your vocals with multi beats, and then see what other people do, or see what Matthew would come back and you know how long ago was this actually recorded? Like when was what like eight ten months ago? Oh, Rufus, when was the first one? Uh, autumn twenty nineteen. Oh was wow! It? Okay. Uh, autumn twenty eighteen. It was 2018 because then we came back and I responded to them with like a slightly a, deeper voice. Yeah, yeah. 2018. Gosh. 2018. Like, it would be interesting to do that every year kind of thing. Like, come back in 2020, 2021, 2022. Even if, if you know, just to hear where the progression goes or where the, the idea of, of beat and, and pulse and, and soundscape and uh, how the vocals uh, might interact differently or yeah fascinating i mean rufus if you are taking more commissions you know <laughs> happily, we can we can do a few more of them i think it's funny Ryland, that you think that um like that it's like a surprising direction because in a way it's like the piece that i wish that i could make from those vocals like i guess like my for whatever reason like when i'm inside the music it just didn't like go in that direction but like yeah i i love that like that there are so many because you know i've got like hours and hours of 
of you singing and of, of Ben and Ronan singing as well. Um, and like, must be like six hours of, of, of material. And like, we've only used a tiny little piece of it. There must be so many other pieces of music like inside that. Um, and, and, and as well, I, the sort of, um, it, it's lucky that, that Matthew is so generous because this feels was originally um, it was like a sketch that he put in the shared Google Drive that we had when uh, when we were like talking about the project and uh, and I just listened to it and was like um, like it really just sort of struck something for me because it was like just Rylan singing the word beautiful and I was like yeah that's basically like the sum the sum of the project like this beautiful like and uh yeah I just I I like that the beats sort of add a different way to like embody it and I like that people like when we did um my PC lands like people who were playing it would come away and be like singing fragments that Rylan was singing in the recording even though like they're not that like they're they're like weird splitting little modal melodies they're not like catchy pop tunes but like people would come away with them as like earworms and be like singing them and it's like it's worked <laughs> the evil scheme has worked <laughs> um but yeah it's just a really it's such it's nice to have something that's kind of like it's not like straightforwardly joyful but something that is like that does have like that joy in it to sort of bring things into the round in the ep i think um, I must admit, when I when I listen to it, I mean, I, you've got this this sort of you know back music to to the voice that's quite sort of incessant and it goes on it, but it's kind of it's kind of relaxing in a way. I find that that relaxing. And then you've got this. I wrote down the word ethereal. Uh, that's just me, sort of voice on top of it. And and sometimes it sort of went like. A positive if you know what I mean it sort of reinforced each other and it's sort of like you got a, a certain feeling then sometimes it felt almost like it was working against each other and and it was almost like sometimes it felt like a little bit uncomfortable and then it got sort of more comfortable again then it got a little bit uncomfortable again and it was this continual change in and out that kept it sort of moving for me I don't know if that makes sense it was a continual sort of like it, it didn't it didn't ever settle down into something it always had a movement to it yeah, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. I think that's a lot of how I felt about it as well. I probably wouldn't have realised it was only one vocal loop. I might have thought it was like lots of little different ones. Um, but I saw the, you know, the the session and I saw that it was a loop. <laughs> um, but yeah, it feels like that. It feels like it's always changing just a little bit. So I think it's time we moved on to the next piece. Uh, now we have Harry Josephine Giles and Vivian Holmes with Out of Existence Part 1, AGP. Oh, 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 oh,
learn the words from the comment. Nobody can be penetrated. But we can discuss the drugs we were having. Well, come to the question was when we were questioned. Question of the case was guided. Every single turn to the question. Explanations might have to be allowed to be exact. Not getting into the answer when you're questioning the landscape. No, no, to be certified by the question is turning into the exact. We got to this last time. When the state was saying, we are here. Where we are, 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 So Vivian, would you like to tell us a little bit about the piece? Yeah, well, this is, um, you know, just the general context of like out of existence. So out of existence comes from Janice Redmond, Janice Raymond, which one? One of those. Um, like transsexual empire, the whole, you know, uber turf thing being like, oh, we have to legislate trans women out of existence. Love to love that. Love to hear that. And like, you know, Josie's work. You know, I was I was a big fan of Josie like before I was approached it, so I was like, Oh, I get to it with her? She's a fucking genius. Yes, please. And um yeah, and that was like a lot of what we were talking about when Josie was just sort of explaining like her ideas about what she was thinking was this um Yeah, like what is it? It because it uses a combination of, you know, there's AGP, which comes from your like Ray Blanchard, like more um, and like, it's autogynephilia auto auto gynephilia for those people who don't don't know what AGP means. We might have some people who don't know. Yeah. So. Yeah, and so that that came from like the uh, like pseudoscientific work of uh, psychologists, Brian Blanchard, who sort of defined your like two types of trans women of being the the autogynephile and the homosexual transsexual being the um you know and the sort of a gynophile but you know a whole thing transphobia in science in everything in society and everything trans misogyny specifically and it's just using terms like autogynophilia which is about like you know sort of greek term being like getting basically sort of like being a trans woman and specifically being a trans woman is attracted to other women is a sort of just a basically a fetish and that yeah and this is like oh you you're turned on by the idea of thinking yourself as a woman. And I was like, well, if you think about that, like, everyone, like, most women do that. Like, that's sort of like how sex and gender relations and having sex and gender relations works. But, um, but yeah, the whole thing about this is, like, using this, using all these terms, there's, you know, so AGP comes from pseudoscientific stuff in the 80s. GID is sort of slightly later on. Tim is a term that like modern terms use. Egg is a term that tra- like your very online trans women use about themselves. And GIA, like 
of again just sort of like modern trans discourse and so much using all these like terms that come from different like ways that people talk about trans women like both from being transphobic and transmisogynistic and like trans women talking about themselves and so like that's the sort of overarching thing with the whole piece talking about that and then also um also incredibly important is all the like all the quotes which come largely from trans literature you know uh you know i think Josie is primarily a poet and so that's what's coming from for example in hp specifically this uh, includes a quote from Sarah Ahmed in which she's talking about Heidegger, which I love. I wrote my master's thesis on Heidegger, and it was just this, you know, the, the hammering, the hammer as like the tool. The hammer is a tool for hammering, and it's, yeah, and that's very much about like how this combination of like language and perception and phenomenology comes about to sort of bring together the ways in which like sort of you understand the world, and you know. Uh, Heidegger's sort of phenomenology, Heidegger's sort of idea of like the Dasein sort of world space is like, oh, using the ways that we sort of interpret the thing about the world and tools and objects and the self and his big thing, Heidegger was sort of fundamentally sort of anti-dualist in which it's like there's no distinction between the self and the world and the language that we use to, and then Sort of stuff about the language that we use to talk about the world and how we interact with the world, and it's very much at all molding with each other. And I think that, like, I don't know, Ari, being a big fan, I saw that and saw specifically like Sarah Ahmed's like quoting of that, and I was like, ah, yes, this is it. This is the piece for me. Mm. And yeah, and you know, a lot of this was, was we had a really long talk at the start just about like how. Because I think, you know, it's sort of that sort of, it's fundamentally, like, sort of interesting in, the, like, in comparison to, like, specifically looking at, uh, in comparison with fields and in comparison with that sort of idea and the, like, trans masculine voice cracking versus the, like, trans woman on estrogen, which, like, the voice has to be, like, physically, like, wrenched upwards. And we were talking about um, using artists like Laura Lev, from Hundred Gex, who, you know, specifically is like pitching her voice up in basically every song. And mm. um, Sophie, rest in peace, who died a few months ago. Mm. Um, and, you know, a lot of her work, she was also doing that using an artistically raised voice, using vocoders and stuff. First, mm. someone like Laura Jane Grace, who, you know, just sings like she'd always sung. Yes. But, yeah. but, you know, inherently different, which is that interesting about like what Ruthless was saying about how that changed. And then you talk, think, look at like artists like Mickey Blanco, who, um, you know, just is one of those trans women who just like, were like, uh, I think she, I, don't know, I think she's on hormones. Like, I'm never quite sure what. Mickey Blanco's gone back and forth, I think. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's very much like out there and like upfront about like just sort of like this is my voice. This is what it sounds like. We're doing it, and you know, we decided that like ultimately because the piece was about exploring the trans voice, we would go for that sort of more exploring the like trans voice as it is, rather than y- using like vocoders and stuff to change it. Mm. 
this is always a big thing i think for a trans woman is this is this voice what what do you do about it you know do, do you do you try and pull it up as you say and, and and have this voice that you try and do you know what or do you just let it go back to your normal voice or, or how do you deal with it and and i think that's one of the interesting things that I felt about the music was this sort of this sort of questioning there of, of what you do with your voice. For me, as a as a as a trans woman, do I do I just be do I just be what my normal voice, or do I or I try and make it a very feminine voice? It's kind of an interesting problem for us all, I think. Exactly, and it's like you know it's something I've always wondered. It was like also when I was when I was first like talking to like doctors about like what I wanted from transition. And, you know, it's like, I always said that I was a feminist before I was a woman. And that's not just like a rhetorical thing. That's like, that's like chronologically specific. And it was talking about like, oh, how do I want to sound? How do I want to be? How do I want to go about the world? To what extent are my desires tied in with like societal expectation? To what degree is my understanding of my own voice tied in with these other things? And to what extent is this just the things that I want? And like, how can you know what you want? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's tying into the Heidegger. That's tying into that sort of non-dualist position in that there's no inherent self. You know, like, they're saying here that people say her philosophy degree isn't useful. Here's me figuring out my own gender with one. Um, there is no like inherent self. Like there is no like, Ultimate, there's no like true desires or what, what you ultimately want at the bottom of everything. That it's like completely like if you strip away these layers and layers and layers of like societal pressure and societal like building up of like what it is to be a person, what it is to be a woman, like you know, sort of. And the same way that like it's hard to define womanhood without misogyny, it's hard to define like trans desire and like what transition looks like outside of transphobia and outside of misogyny and that's um and yeah and that's sort of ultimately why we sort of ended up in that sort of place that we did around the piece and how that's how sort of why in talking about it in that certain way why we decided to sort of talk about what the trans feminine voice is like as it is mm. and, uh, yeah, and yeah. I think like that especially comes through in like a lot of these pieces in which I'm just like really straining my voice. Is that like this is quite a thing like, um, you know, I have had basically no formal vocal training like ever, and so like my I sometimes do like strain my voice when I'm like playing on my own because I'm just like Ugh, I don't really know what to do, and then you know I need to have like Rylands working at Ashenspire. I've been listening to, which is just like if you don't know, Ryan is in a like black metal band, black metal. Would you call it that? Yeah, there's a I think yeah, we refer to it as theatrical black metal, which is you know a little <laughs> bit over the top, but yes, essentially. <laughs> uh, it's camp. And yeah, and I think like especially in that, and you know, I think like if there's a reason why you find like there's quite a few trans women who like work in sort of black metal and play that sort of thing. I'm looking at um, artists like Feminine School, uh, Victory Against the Sun, Liturgy. Uh, yeah, like I think like you can sort of see a lot of that because it's in that sort of like extreme world and it's in that sort of like on the sort of outer 
edges of like what a vocal is and what vocals sound like so that you sort of find something more interesting. And mm-hmm. you know, I've been listening to a lot of Lingua Nota as well, who's this like incredible um like singer who used to do sort of more electronic stuff and now is moving on to sort of has recently been released an album in twenty nineteen called Caligula, which is like it's just stunningly beautiful. She's she's this, but like, you know, it's the mm. thing. Well, um, well, we don't mind. We do, that's fine. Yeah, they're it's okay. Allowed. I hang yeah. out with them sometimes. They're okay. They're okay, they're yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, I found when when I listen to music, I must admit, I found some of it quite triggering uh, to me because it, it's kind of you know when I was listening to some of it, it was kind of like reminded me of things that I've had to deal with in my life and and that kind of thing. So I found it quite sometimes quite difficult to listen to. I'll admit that you know, but I couldn't stop listening to it. But it it was difficult to listen to. Uh, and, and Jacob, I'm, I'm going to bring you in here because h- how do you feel about it? Because you know, for me, it, it was a it's a particularly trans woman experience that I had with it. And, and, and kind of how did you feel about it? Because it would be interesting to get a different perspective, I think. And as a as a cis man, it obviously doesn't hold the same uh, weight or understanding, and it uh, it doesn't feel immediate to me in that way, obviously. But what is what is really interesting is that, and, and we, we talk about this, uh, Sam and I, all the time, and I think this is kind of what we were talking about, uh, Ryland, just before we kind of started the podcast, that there's a, like an inherent queerness to listening to queer music. That's a weird way of putting that. You can, you can hear like a, an inherent queerness in queer music that I think still resonates, even if it doesn't resonate in the same way. Like the text doesn't hold the same weight and understanding for me but the the impetus of the the starting place or the um reason for creation still holds a lot of weight and i think that is what i feel more viscerally is that the uh the sound of your voice and how you are creating and how you are um putting these things together makes a lot of sense for me but doesn't hold the same like background weight but it feels very i don't want to say i think you used the word uh uh pared down sparse uh, clear crystalline it felt very uh clear if that makes sense that's my take it's it's kind of interesting because jacob and i have been talking quite a lot about i guess in the term queer music and 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 what how do i identify that because we both feel there is something inherent amongst queer composing musicians which makes their music different or at least a, a different feel to it in some way and 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 so i'd be quite interested in getting in getting your your views the three of you's views on this because i think jacob and i have a view on it do, do you feel the same do you feel your music has a certain feeling to it any one of you 
I'm going to speak on behalf of Rufus and say that I feel Rufus's music has an inherent queerness to it. Thanks, Rylan. That's very kind of you. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great compliment. (laughs) Uh, That's a really hard question. Um, I, yeah, um, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess there's like a, a lot of things that feed into it. And I'm slightly like overwhelmed by them. <laughs> uh, like, I guess, um, sorry, I'm like trying to, trying to choose a thread to pull on and it was all like tangled up. Sorry, um, I did kind of dump that one on you. <laughs> oh, you're probably dumping on you. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess, like, a lot of what, like, I've talked about with Overat is this thing about the voice. Um, and I'm, I do mean, like, singing voices, speaking voices, other kinds of voices. Um, but then when you get off the end of other kinds of voices, like, maybe other ways of communicating, um, verbal information, um, or it might be going over into things that are nonverbal. Um, and it might be going over into your voice being to do with how you draw or play an instrument or um, maybe you write words on a page. Um, and that there are a lot of ways to sort of have a voice. And I guess as someone who has never been uh, a singer, um, but has become quite highly trained as a musician, um, it's sort of tempting to think that like I play the viola it's tempting to think like the viola is kind of like my voice it has a very similar range to my voice just technically um, like basically that's all the notes that I can sing there on that instrument and that's partly why I play it um, uh, or like uh, you know maybe like maybe like the bass is more like my voice and I want to like imagine it as this like big heavy rooting thing or like um, all these things, but I think for me, like, the thing that I've learned that's kind of let me find a way into making music again after a period of not being able to make music at all, um, is like that the way that I write music on the page, that kind of is my voice. Um, and like, uh, being really trying to be like extremely honest about what that voice is first. And then trying to be really accepting of it also and see like, okay, that's what my voice is like. Like, where am I trying to hide it? And where am I like saying something that's more true? And so then if like for me going forward in that way, like how could it not be a trans voice? How could it not be a queer voice? Because it's like exactly as trans and as queer as as I am, because that's how I've worked. It's like, you know, I've been inside it and done that and um that's you know been a way of sort of speaking um in a way did that make sense it does i mean it, my immediate thought is is this uh, i don't know if you read like donna haraway like this intense unex- you, you cannot piece apart positionality and and direction of, of voice that you speak from uh the body and life you lead and of course this is then ingrained in everything that we do as artists that at any part of what we create 
uh, is part of that embodied lived experience from which we are coming from. Uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. All kinds of embodied forms in different pieces that embody different ways and you have different needs in each one and yeah. So, so let, let me dump Rylan in it now because when Rylan immediately said said that 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 Rufus's music was queer. So so what is it, what is it for you, Rylan, that 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 signifies that? What, what why did you say that? Because you were very clear on this straight away. Yeah, um, I guess I've I've never heard music any any piece of music that sounds like Rufus's music other than Rufus's music. It is it is totally singular. Um, yeah, and. Rufus, do forgive me for saying this, but I do feel like it's an acquired taste. Um, there is certainly an amount of like thinking about it and understanding it that you kind of have to do. And I'm I'm very privileged that Rufus sends me things in progress and goes, "This is what I'm working on." I'm like, "Ooh, a sneak a sneak peek into the into the next release." Um, but I think once you start then looking at it and thinking about it, there, it's tied to so many things. There are so many connections in it that like I feel wouldn't be the case if it wasn't coming from that incredibly introspective place that you kind of have to be as a queer person. Um, and yeah, there's, there's so many references to so many wonderful other things. Um, and yeah, just the kind of the way that it's conducted and then even the final product, the way that it sounds, the way that the performance directions are communicated is so different and so precious in so many ways and i won't keep gushing rufus because it's probably very embarrassing for you um <laughs> but yeah it does it sounds queer and i i really love that about it i think it's it's a very unique sound you know if you're going to play some of rufus's music now i would recommend just a little piece of rufus music yeah i i think we'll have to do that because because I, I must admit I, I played a bit on 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 the radio show and and it, it does elicit some some interesting responses uh, from people, and 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 it is one of those things that you have. Again, I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you, but you have to listen to a lot, because as you start to listen to it, at least from my perspective, it it suddenly starts to open up. You know what I mean? It's it's when you first listen to it, it sounds sort of like it's it's quite closed or it's it's not kind of clear, but the more you listen to it, you it suddenly starts to get deeper and deeper and more layered i guess i would say in some way and it's kind of kind of interesting because it's it's uh, yeah i don't know it's kind of I, I can't even think of the word it's it's kind of this sort of um very um oh yeah you have to help me out i've got i'm afraid i got lost on the words here i, I don't even know how to explain it really it's kind of a, a very as you said unusual sound to it and it but but it but it, you, you it sort of draws you in and 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 you experience things with it i don't know maybe that sounds a bit um, I am like a little embarrassed, but also uh, like I think it's true that like you know like, I, I understand how the like oh it's an acquired taste could sound like an insult, but it's kind of been something that I've needed to build into the music all the time. Is like there is a barrier like when I'm writing, I'm kind of like putting up different like. <laughs> layers and you could stop at the outside and be like okay that was the piece and you could like sort of choose to to go further into it but like there's definitely uh an aspect of like like in in the first in the first piece that I wrote after sort of coming back to music the, the sort of top line on it was like um 
something like this piece is uh, exploring um, bodies and stories that are totally close to you. Um, and I kind of wanted to like acknowledge that for myself outright that like, yeah, this is like, um, this is something that you don't know and you can't see. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like it needed to be like this, this piece is like a complete body um, in some way. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, trans. Super trans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, there's something very trans about very inaccessible music. I always feel like I am. There's this, you know, I brought it up before with about this. There's this article, essay called "The Sex Close to Noise" by um, someone called Leah S, who just like writes about trans women and noise music, talking about like Genesis Porridge and just sort of a lot of those sort of histories around that and you know I my my greatest gig is the one where I made the sound guy leave because it was just sort of like a wall and um but there were like five people standing in the front having the fucking time of their lives and it was just like that just sort of feels very you just sort of show up and it's just like, hi, this is a horrifying beast. And then like, there's a few people who just think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I don't know, that, I love that. And that always feels very trans to me. And it feels so yeah. satisfying. It feels so, uh, it, it, this, we were also talking about this uh, earlier that if if all of our, our main goals can be to have an audience just feel something visceral, then that is that is all I ever need. And like this this idea of like five people who uh, feel something very intensely, then that matters more than the you know however many many people could be there. I would much rather go to a show or much rather do a show where five people. Um, think that is the most important thing they've ever experienced in their entire life uh, and then have the sound guy leave. That's phenomenal to me. Mm-hmm. I think that makes so much sense. <laughs> I, I mean, we, we were talking a little bit earlier about, uh, um, you know, the, the radio show that I do that, that, you know, I play a lot of typical classical music that everyone loves because they like, they love the classical music and it's great. Everyone sits there and you play a piece of Mozart and it, it's, a, I mean, who doesn't like Mozart? You listen to Mozart and it's a great piece of music. But it's like most people are like, oh, it's a great piece of music, you know, fantastic. But, but they're not really terribly engaged with it. It's it's Mozart, you know, and they've heard it. And then I play a piece of music from a, a modern trans composer, say, uh, and 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 immediately there's this reaction. It's either it's either wow, that's that's incredible, or it's like oh no, that's terrible, you know. And I, I can't. How's that? Not in this kind of thing. But the fact is, it's that reaction that they're actually listening to it now, as opposed to just having it as this background. And 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 a kind of and it's kind of great fun to actually uh, to put a piece like that against a piece of Mozart in the radio show, and people are like took on oh, the Mozart, and the next piece you have got wow this other thing, and it's like they go oh what's happened to me what what's going on and it's and it's kind of fun I can't and it's kind of shocking. But but it it engages people as opposed to just playing the same old stuff, which is just noise. You know, I know it's terrible. I don't mean Mozart like that. I'm sorry. I don't really mean, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, but then you can like hear the Mozart again and hear that it's got its own world as well. Like you might yeah. get otherwise. So yeah, I definitely think that's a beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're actually right. You've got, you know, there's, there's. Uh, I must admit, when I, I, I've, I've learned a lot of, off of listening to, to modern trans composers and, and other modern queer composers because when I started, I was very much of playing the traditional classical music, and, and it's kind of good, but it, it kind of like gets kind of. I don't want to don't use the monotonous, but it, it kind of gets, you know, into the same routine all the time. Um, and and then I, and so when I started playing the other music, I suddenly learned a lot because it suddenly you how to get reactions from people, which is something I didn't know music could do because I'm not a musician. Yet that's something you guys have been talking about, how you get reactions from, from your music. And so I, I had to learn it that way. But it's something which seems natural to you and that and that that to me is is sort of well it's in, in a little way it's a little bit annoying that I didn't understand that but it but it is it's an interesting learning experience yeah and it's always amazing to hear about how other people respond because like it, it is different for everyone everyone's coming from a different place so uh, of course we've all got a different way of like coming to those pieces and those feelings I'm going to just sort of jump in here. I'm cognizant we've been going for an hour already and, and, and our whole podcast is an hour and, uh, and we've only listened to two pieces of music. So, uh, I mean, is everybody okay if we just do the two? Is that okay? Discuss those rather than do the third because I think we're, otherwise we're going to be an hour and 20 and I think it's getting a bit long. Yes. I don't want to sort of stop the conversation because I think it's actually really, really positive. So. I mean, whatever is best for you is yeah. good. I think, I think, because I mean, I think it's really, uh, I mean, uh, it's quite exciting. I kind of, kind of, kind of want to go on for longer, but I know we have got to, you know, fit it into a period of time. So, um, Jacob, what, what else do we need to? Is there anything else we need to talk about at the moment? Do you think or discuss or anything else we'd like to get over? I think the I, I I don't think there's any any big major uh, thing we need to throw in, and I think doing two of the three is is great. I think time wise, that probably uh, we have plenty of material hmm. um, to to kind of work through. It um, yeah, it's it's really these are these are like such beautiful conversations to to have, and I really I always value when we can have these. Uh, like times just talking with uh, people who have uh, such a like wonderful view on creation of classical music. It's, uh, you know, for those of us who are like stupidly rigidly classically trained, it's so nice to be able to talk about everything else and have this time to talk about, you know, what we'll like broadly call classical music as in it's it's within a, you know, classical-ish world but but understand the different uh like abilities to subvert that understanding of what classical music can be and how important it is to have uh classical music exist within uh like a a trans voice but also have classical music exist uh in so many various snapshots of of where it sits day to day with individual people but also within the larger, broader conversation of what classical 
music can be. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm just so thankful to have this time with the three of you, well, four of you, Sammy, but three of you to talk about um, about your views on, on creation and, and how you think about creating. And Vivian, it's so interesting to hear that you are uh, coming at this from like a, a punk side because it absolutely translates to me. It it absolutely makes perfect sense to think about, again, broadly classical music through a trans-punk lens. Of course that's a conversation that uh, has a really beautiful outcome. Like, your pieces are beautiful. Like, that's such an interesting way to uh, attack classical music. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, for for me, uh, the thing, uh, you know, I, I just find the whole thing terribly exciting. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of because I think part of it is that that I, I don't know what's coming next. I think that's part of part of it for me is that the pieces are, are so different, and that every time I listen to something that that when I talk to one of you and I, and I see a new piece, it is different, and and it kind of it's a whole new set of responses. Uh, and this is something that Jake and I have talked about before, that, that this is something that I think queer musicians do more than anyone. They do this kind of really, you know, ability to, 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 to use the word metamorphosize, but I don't mean that, but, but be able to change the way they respond to the world. And, and you hear that in the music. Uh, and so kind of, kind of, it, it's always very exciting. So for me, that's kind of a, you know, as a listener to music, as opposed to a musician, that that's what I want is something that actually, you know, I look forward to wanting to hear what the next piece is. I always tell the university kids, you know, when I when I'm teaching about, you know, why why do we study the arts? Why do we study classical music? And, you know, part of it is that classical music or, or music in general and the arts in general gives us this vocabulary to understand and deal with complex situations, that we have this understanding of our creation so that we can express so many different complex things. And if you then layer on uh, a queer lens to that, it just deepens it tenfold, that queer people immediately have to adapt and change and have a, a much more complex view of the world from day one, and then if we map that into the arts, of course then the, the creation of, of uh, queer people and trans composers and trans performers is just so much more fluid and adaptive and interesting and complex, and uh, that's the beauty. That's why we're, we're talking about it. It's great. If I may, I think uh, it's amazing as well to be like in a, in a, in a Skype room, but in a room with uh, a, a group of queer musicians and listeners because uh, part that was part of the sort of overact goal as well that it's not only the creators but also that the music is for trans, non-binary and otherwise gender diverse folk um, and more broadly queer folks and I felt like when you're only in a conversation in a room of, of all entirely otherwise cis people then the, the queerness in your music can get lost um, if you don't have someone who can listen to it and engage with it. Um, so it's been like really amazing to um, like uh, have a have an audience with Overat that is 
such a huge percentage of trans and binary folk um, to sort of be the other side of the of the conversation and listen and and uh, and and hear the hear the queerness and hear the transness as well because that's um, like we were saying before we started um, like the community in which you're making that music is uh, is really important as well who listens. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do obviously have such a, even within the like broader queer community, we have such a, a terrible uh, habit of of not holding space specifically for any any group, but specifically for trans non-binary, gender diverse composers and musicians and people even within the queer community, let alone outside the queer community. It's so nice to uh, hear about over at holding that space really intentionally and holding that space to, uh, I love the way you put it for, for listeners and uh, um, performers and creators, but ingesters of music in all forms, that all parts of that uh, continuum are important to understand the other parts. Thanks again for listening to the Classical Queer Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the music and conversation with the people at Over At. We're looking forward to bringing you the next podcast soon. Also, many thanks to Jared Miller for all the incidental music we are using. Until next time. <laughs>